On Sunday, <clears throat> on Sunday evenings, we've been uh, taking the last few weeks, besides the one where we had our singing, but the last few weeks uh, we've been talking about issues of the church, uh, doctrines of the church. And my primary purpose of that was to let our young people and those that may be new in the faith to realize and know why we teach some of the things that we teach. We've talked about the, the distinctiveness of the church. That when we read what the Bible says that the church should be and what it's supposed to do, then we're striving to do what we see that was ex uh, acceptable in the New Testament. We need to follow that pattern. We talked about the role of women in the assembly. That God has not uh, gave them a, a leading uh, responsibility in a congregation. We've talked about the use of instrumental music. Why we as a congregation of God's people, why the Lord's church does not use instruments. Tonight the plan is to talk about the most wonderful subject that everyone could ever imagine and that is marriage, divorce, and remarriage. But I thought that it would be good before we talked about divorce that we should talk about the wedding, the marriage, the commitment that the two people have made to each other in the presence of God. And to know why that commitment is so important and why God discourages divorce and why we should not want to practice that in our lives. We live in a society today that is ever-changing. And many of the changes that we see taking place in our society we don't appreciate because they violate what God's Word teaches. We see where people, their view of marriage has changed over the years. And that the number of divorces has skyrocketed. And marriages today can be terminated by whatever reason that you would so choose. It's called no-fault divorce. And a number of people are moving in and living together without marriage, and that has skyrocketed in our society also. You can see the respect for marriage is not what it used to be. Marriage sometimes or, uh, is referred to as an economic benefit. That is only good financially. I've had people tell me various things that when you get married and you do it the right way and that you go to the courthouse, you get your paper and there's been time, well, in every ceremony that I've ever done, I always tell them, if you don't have the paper, if you don't have the license, I'm walking out. I'm not going to do it. And you can get mad at me, you can do whatever you want, but that's the way it's going to be. So I would advise you to do what the law says you need to do. I've had people say it's only a piece of paper. Well, it's more than just a piece of paper. And we're hopefully we'll see that today as we go through this lesson. Both of those trends, divorce for any cause and just living together, result in forgetting what the marriage covenant is all about. You see, the Bible describes a marriage as a covenant. And a covenant is a word that we don't use or even hear so much anymore. But it perfectly describes what a marriage is supposed to be. 
Throughout the Bible, we can find covenants that were made between God and man. And they are the most serious means of making an agreement. A covenant is not a contract. Because in a contract, one person pledges to do something contingent upon the performance of another person. And if that one person fails on their part, then that contract is broken. A covenant is a holy promise, a sacred promise that is a personal commitment that cannot be broken through adversity. It's a promise that is made in the presence of God and usually a company of people that is to last for the couple's lifetime. And so when a man and a woman wish to get married, they need to understand that they are making a holy promise to one another. It's not just something that you say and then you walk out and forget those words. It's a promise. And I think that we see through all the preparation that people make to have a special wedding day, that there is something special about that vow. And as we go through this lesson, we'll look at some of the traditions that we see in the ceremony itself that shows that it is a covenant. Marriage is for life. It's till death do you part. It's not something that needs to be entered into lightly. It is not something that can be broken at all. Because I believe that there are many people that think that they have dissolved it, but in God's sight... It hasn't been dissolved. And unfortunately, many people will be surprised on that day of judgment when they find out that they've been living in an adulterous situation for their life. You see, any other commitment from what we're talking about is not a Christian marriage. People just living together is not a Christian marriage. It is a deep commitment that two people make and that consists of the marriage covenant. It is a lifelong partnership that is unbreakable, unshakable, and unmovable. Hopefully this thing is going to work all day. Marriage is formed by a covenant. I think that we can see that in different passages of Scripture in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. But in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. So they've made that agreement. And you may not be treating your spouse the way that you're supposed to, but that agreement is still there. That agreement, that, that covenant still exists. And notice what it says there, that the wife of covenant, it's a promise that you've made as a husband. When you made that commitment that you took it for better or for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, that you promised to love and to honor and to cherish that person. Until death you do part. In Proverbs chapter 31, verses 1 through and 2, it says the, the words of King Lemuel. 
the prophecy that his mother taught him. What my son and what the son of my womb and what the son of my vows. One of the things that I see here is in this picture that children come from that vow. We sometimes in our world today, in our society, we get it backwards. But God intended for two people to meet and for those two people, male and female, to get married before children come along. In our society, we, we, we seem to have it backwards. We, we get the children, and then we might get married. That is not God's plan. That's not how He intended for it to work. And we see that all the way back in Genesis when He made man, and then He created woman. And then we see children come on later on in the picture. Those vows are important. We can see that the immoral woman that is talked about in Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 17, which forsaketh the guide of her youth and forgetteth the covenant of her God. God intended for that man and that woman to be together forever. You say, well, what if, what if it, it's abuse? Well, guess what? That's why we date. So that we can get to know each other. So that we can see how they treat each other. And that's important. It's for better or for worse. For richer or for poorer. In sickness and in health. God used an allegory to talk about marrying Israel by covenant. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse or 16 and verse 8. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love, and I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, thou becamest mine. We can see that God made that covenant with the children of Israel, and He's made a covenant with us today that if we're faithful, that we'll have that home in heaven and the hereafter. That's the promise that we have as Christians today. And so we expect God to live up to His, His vow to us. And when we become a Christian, He expects us to live up to the vow that we've made when we confess His name before men and we're buried with our Lord in baptism to have our sins washed away and we rise up to walk in that newness of life. We're a new creature in Christ Jesus. And He expects you and I as Christians to live up to the responsibility of living the Christian life. He expects the same thing out of marriage. And we expect that God keeps His promise. And we see that in the Old Testament. You see, covenants and laws can be used interchangeably in the Scriptures. A couple of examples. One is found in Psalms chapter 78 and verse 10. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in His laws. Part of that covenant is the law. And when we follow that law, guess what? We're following that covenant. And when I reject either one, then guess what? I'm not following God. In Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 33, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and I will write in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Again, we see those words used interchangeably. God's law, God's covenant. 
When God makes a promise, He keeps His promises. He may set forth conditions on those things, but we need to understand that He's God. And when we make our pledge in marriage, we're ple are pledging before God that we're going to be faithful, that we're going to love and to honor and to cherish our spouse. Think about what Paul says. I think that he, he, he makes this statement because the covenant and the law are used interchangeably. But listen to what he says in Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. I know, I know not ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. <clears throat> so then, if while her husband liveth she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no longer no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Here Paul is showing us that uh, marriage is like the law. That once you're dead under the law, you don't have to follow that law anymore because you're dead. And the same is true in marriage. You're obligated to each other as long as each of those spouses are living. That's the responsibility that we have. Now once they die, I'm no longer bound. When I go, my wife's not bound to me. When she goes, I mean when I say go, I mean dies. When she dies, I'm not bound no longer to, be, uh, uh, to, to, to this vow that I made in October... 1976. It's October the 8th, just in case you think I forgot. <laughs> that law is done away with, and that's what Paul's using. He uses the example of a married couple to make his point about the children of Israel, or the Jews, not being under the law, the old law, any longer. That was his point. And so when we look at our Traditions in marriage, the traditional wedding ceremony itself, we see that it is deeply rooted in forming a covenant. Because in a covenant, parties are identified. You hear words like so-and-so and so-and-so. I require and charge you that the vows that you are about to make this day are sacred far and above and beyond the limitations of your, our spoken language. You usually use, or I usually use, and in most cases it's always the full name, first, middle, and last. And if they've got four names, you use ever how many you, they use. If you remember when, when one of the princes get married or the, the, some royalty gets married, they have many, many different names, but they list every single one of them. Why? Because it's a, it's a covenant that is made in the sight of God and people need to see that we're not confusing it with somebody else. You're the one making that commitment. You're the one making that vow. And so I always charge them and make sure that they know that they have deliberately chosen each other. And they've come before this company and in the sight of God so that they know the seriousness of what they're doing. Oftentimes, there's a history given of how the couple may have met and why they've fallen in love with each other and why they want to spend the rest of their lives together. But then you get to the point where you say, do you, and you list their name. Take so-and-so. 
In my case, it was, do you, Leonard Joel White, take Christine Dale Peters to be your lawfully wedded wife? There's no confusion. They want you to know the seriousness of the vow that you're making before God. The obligation of the parties is spelled out. When we make that vow, we say, I take you, so-so, to be my wife, for husband to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to honor and to cherish. I don't know where, where anything is left out of that. For better, for worse. If things are great, then great. But if they get worse, then they got worse. You've made a pledge. If you've got a lot of money, you've made a pledge. If you're, you're poor as dirt, you've made a pledge. If you're healthy as a horse, you've made a vow, you've made a pledge. But if you're sick as a dog, you've made a pledge. Where's the out? You made a promise. As with all covenants, the design of the covenant is for the benefit of both parties. And the Scripture shows us some of the benefits. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 4, A virtuous woman is the crown of her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 22, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 14, House and riches are an inheritance of fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. And in Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 10, Who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. A husband who finds a wife has found something good. And hopefully she respects him and loves him and honors and cherishes that relationship. And she brings honor to him. I like that passage where it says, she that maketh the shame is rottenness in his bones. A wife has an opportunity to make her husband miserable. So does the husband have an opportunity to make his wife miserable. But we can see that from those passages of Scriptures, what a good wife can be. You say, preacher, you're just talking about the wives. What's the benefit of the, for, for women? I think Paul addresses that. When he talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 33, But he that marrieth married, he that is married, careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. And there is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman care for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she that is that she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So there in that passage of scripture, you see where the husband and the wife are striving to please each other. And I don't believe that there's anything that brings more joy to a husband than to see something he's done that can put a smile on his wife's face. And I think most of us would agree to that. Most of us husbands, we want to see our wives smile. We want to see them happy. You know, you heard that expression, happy wife, happy life. I think that's a bunch of baloney. 
Because we're supposed to be making each other happy. Encouraging each other to do what's right. And when you think about the, the, the responsibility that a husband has, think about those passages that KJ read for us. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. I ask you, what has Christ ever done to hurt or harm the church? And the answer is nothing. He's gave, he gave His life on the cross. He gave His life as an example of how you and I should live. He gave and He gave. That's what the Lord expects us as husbands to do for our wives. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. You don't love your wife, then guess what? That Scripture is telling me you don't love yourself either. Because why? Why can that, why can that be said? Because from Scripture we find out when we get married, we become one. One flesh. So if I hurt her, it's hurting me. Husbands, do we have a tremendous responsibility in the home? We most certainly do. Now listen to what Peter says. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, Likewise ye husbands, <clears throat> dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto a weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Give honor unto your wife. Part of the vows that we make, to love, honor, and to cherish. Oh, I've had people that will tell me, I want you to leave certain parts out of that. My answer to that is, you need to get somebody else to do it. And whether our society wants to admit it or not, God the Creator, who made male and female, created Adam and then took a rib and made Eve, says that the woman is the weaker vessel. Now, I know our society wants us to think that everybody's equal. But God knows. And we know. And I've used the illustration before. You know, you take a, a, a plastic cup and you may throw it or drop it or whatever. But you take that, that, uh, that grandma's uh, teacup, china teacup, and you're going to be careful how you handle that. You're not going to just throw it on the table. You're not going to drop it. You're, not going, to, you're going to take good care of that. Why? Because it's special. And that's really our relationship with each other as a husband and a wife. We cherish it. Those things that we cherish, we don't abuse. And if you're a husband that abuses your wife, you need to repent. And the same is true if you're a wife that abuses your husband, you need to repent. And remember those vows that you made. A list of expected benefits or consequences for breaking the covenant. 
You see, most wedding ceremonies contain a blessing for the couple. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you. Sometimes there's a blessing for children and all kinds of things. You see that in the case with Ruth. With Boaz and Ruth in Ruth, Ruth chapter 4 verses 11 through 12. There's a blessing. Who's the enforcer? God's the enforcer. You made a vow in the presence of God. That's why it's important that you don't terminate it. Because God tells us in Hebrews chapter 14 and verse or 13 and verse 4, marriage is honorable and in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Now I know in our world today that man has changed the definition of marriage. Man doesn't get to change the definition of marriage. In the context of the entire Bible, marriage is between a man and a woman. And when it's done right, it is honorable. But when it is a violation of God and His Word, then they're, they're going to be held accountable for that. And so we need to understand the seriousness of making those vows. Because it is a serious matter. And when we look at our weddings and the things that take place, I think there are many provisions that remind us of the ceremony, remind us of that promise that we made, remind us of the fellowship that we had on that occasion with others. Because we see that there are rings, and those rings that we have on our fingers when we're married represent or show the existence of that covenant. That when I look at this ring, I should be reminded of the covenant that I made way back there in 1976. And that ring is a reminder to you that a covenant was established with your spouse and before God and whoever else witnessed that event. And it shows the world that you are in that covenant relationship and it tells the world, guess what? Stay away. Hands off. I'm not available. I'm married. I'm in a relationship. It tells the world that you belong to someone else. God is a part of that covenant. You sign a marriage license, and that license is recorded. And guess what? When you sign it, it's not your responsibility to make sure it's recorded. You sign it, and the preacher or the whoever uh, the magistrate or whoever's doing the ceremony. They're the ones that have to send that deed in or send, send that license in because they don't leave it up to you because that's how important it is. So they can be recorded with the county, so the state knows it, the federal government knows it. Everybody can see that the two have made this commitment to each other. Isn't that wonderful? We should rejoice to know that. That God says, you've made a commitment with yourselves and with me. Tell the world. And then we have a reception. 
Sometimes they're very elaborate, with lots of food. Sometimes they're just cake and ice cream. I remember when uh, back in the day, that's really what a reception was. Cake and ice cream, open the gifts, and everybody went home. But everybody was there to celebrate that occasion that you've made this promise, this commitment. And then there's anniversaries that remind us of that day. How many of us remember those days? Do you just remember the day you got married? I can remember the day I proposed. I remember the day of our first date. All of those are reminders of the seriousness of the commitment that we make to each other. So I want you to never forget. Never forget that those oaths are made before a higher authority. <clears throat> because it says from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love, honor, and to cherish, so long as we both shall live. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no, long, no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Jesus is telling us there that it is a permanent relationship. Don't put it away. Don't end it. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 17, remember the immoral woman, she had forsaken her covenant of her God. Never forget that there are witnesses to that covenant. We see the bridesmaids, the bridegroom, the audience, and God Himself is witnesses to all the to, to, to the pledge that we make. The best man and the maid of honor are usually the ones that sign as witnesses on that marriage license. That they stood on the podium or in front of the, the magistrate or the or whoever's doing a ceremony. And they witnessed those words that were uttered. Boaz took Ruth to be his wife. And in Ruth chapter four and verse eleven it says, The elders and the people outside the city said, We are witnesses. So everyone knew. We need to understand that the covenant is permanent. Don't ever forget that, that it's permanent. It's for the life of the couple. As Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verses 2 through 3, For the woman which hath a husband is bound to the, by, by the law to her husband as long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from that law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is freed from the law so that she is no longer adult, an adulteress, though she be married to another man. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, Wherefore they are no longer twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. That union is not to be separated. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians the 7th chapter that if they do separate it, they need to be reconciled back to each other. Why? He even tells us that it should be if you if you separate, then you need to get back together. Work at that. You see, marriage isn't easy. 
There are difficulties that we have. But remember what the pledge is that you made. And when both sides remember that, it's going to work. You see in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 11, it says, And unto the married I command, not yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband, but if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. Why is all that so important? Why is the vow so important? Because we become one flesh. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, Therefore let a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. You might think of it like this. Two people join themselves together through a covenant in one entity, which is a family. And they become a family instead of two people. That's what a covenant does. It binds the two into one. Many years ago, there was a <clears throat> letter in Parade Magazine. It was titled, can you, can you Fall in Love for a Lifetime? And it was written by a young lady from Fearville, Freeville, New York who worried that infidelity and in marriage might be an unrealistic goal in today's society. And somebody wrote in to reply. Her name was Eula Pante. She was 64 and lived in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And this is what she says, That girl's letter touched me deeply. I'd like to answer her from the experience of 47 years of faithful marriage. It is possible to achieve fidelity but it requires some things that are not very popular with couples today. Begin with commitment. My husband and I made vows with the intentions of their lasting till death do us part. We dropped divorce from our vocabulary. We must learn to be content within oneself. You are, you are the only one who can make you happy. Don't expect the other person to be responsible for your happiness. I'm not saying fidelity and marriage is a cinch. My husband has a quick temper and says things that hurt. I'm much too sensitive. But we try not to go to bed angry. This girl asks if it's natural to be with the same person all your life or is it against our animal instincts? We are not just animals. Human beings have intellect. We make choices. You may be attracted to a young man and think you're in love. But look at how he treats other people, his family and friends, especially the younger and older ones. Sex is wonderful, and it's most wonderful when it's shared exclusively with, between two people. Love grows stronger when there's trust. Your ideal of two people loving each other for a lifetime may not be easy to achieve. But believe me, it's possible. I would imagine that there's people in here that's been married 50 years or more. And I would imagine that they would tell you that it hadn't always been easy, that there's been trials and, and, and difficulties. But they persevered. They kept going. They kept doing what they needed to do to make it work. And because that covenant is a mutual beneficial to, beneficial to each member of that, uh, to each party, both the husband and the wife, they ought to work together to make that marriage work. 
So it tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 13, 33, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. You see, there will be times when one or the other cannot hold up his or her part of the marriage. And that might be because someone gets sick. The husband or the wife may not be able to do what they were able to do when they made that commitment. And so the other person has to work harder, has to lift more of the burden, but they're still doing what they pledged to do because that individual could not. And there's a big difference between could not and refusing to do it. Are you always in love? We use a word for love sometimes that I think is more lust than love. When there's trials and difficulties, when there's disagreements, when there's arguments, you still love that individual. You still care for that individual. And it's because of that love you kind of hold back and you don't say words that you shouldn't say. You don't do things that you know you shouldn't do. Because you're honoring that spouse. Because of the love that you have for that individual. Last night I was putting together the PowerPoint. And I was thinking about what was the last slide that I was going to put up. And so I was going through some things. There was a website that had 80 different quotes, marriage quotes. I said, hey, they got to have something good there. So, this is the one I came up with. <coughs> I figured about now everybody needed a good laugh, but there is some truth into that, but that's not really the one I had. Uh, I called Chris and Ben into the room and said, which ones do you think fit this best? Well, Ben picked that one. said, you've got to put that one in there. But... This is the one, one of them that I thought was good because I couldn't narrow it down to just one. <clears throat> marriage is a gift from God to us. The quality of our marriage is our gift to Him. He's told us what we need. He's given us what we need to be successful husbands and wives in that relationship. Is it easy? No. Anybody that tells you being married is an easy task and that there's no work involved is not telling you the truth because there's work involved. But then there was one other. And if you have the first, I think that second one just falls in line. You see, marriage is a covenant. It is a relationship between a man and a woman that two lives form into one. And you cannot accidentally form a marriage. Two people living together does not make a marriage. Marriage is and will always remain special. The world may try to change it, but God's definition is what stands. And that's what's important.
this morning, you may not be a Christian. Certainly living a Christian life helps us in that marriage life if both parties will live that Christian life. But we know that sometimes one side doesn't do what they're supposed to do and that makes it difficult. And I commend those that have remained faithful to that vow no matter what's happened in their life. Because I've seen situations where a spouse had to put up with some terrible things from an alcoholic husband who long after that individual passed, that person changed. And that's what a good Christian example can do. It can help change that individual to be what they should be. And so let us all strive to have that Christian marriage. And if you're not a Christian, become a child of God today. Because that will help if you live that faithful life. If you will listen to the words that God has given us to encourage us. Not only in marriage, but in our everyday life. And if you're looking for a, uh, to get married, I encourage you to take your time. Don't rush into it. Get to know that individual. Remain pure. Well, I've had people tell me, well, you know, you don't go buy a car unless you drive it first. Well, you're not buying a car. You're going to have a lifetime commitment. So if you're not a Christian, Jesus tells us what we need to do. We need to believe and be buried with Him in baptism to have our sins washed away. And you can do that this morning. You have that opportunity to respond to our invitation as together we stand and sing.